This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Lily Lukow. And I'm Elijah Cage. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tewa people. Tonight on Generation Justice, we focus on education, dignity for all people, and the demand for a ceasefire in Palestine at the New Mexico legislature. We hear from Dr. Diane Torres Velasquez, who discusses the Martinez and Yazzie lawsuit, its history, and recent updates. Representative Eleanor Chavez of District 26 tells us about the efforts happening at the Roundhouse to call for a ceasefire of the genocide in Gaza and the atrocities in the West Bank of Palestine. We also share an important montage from the Dignity Not Detention Day of Action at the New Mexico Roundhouse, where more than 150 New Mexicans gathered to talk to legislatures about the importance of the Senate Bill 145. That's correct. We hear from Giovanni Hernandez from the New Mexico Dream Team, Sofia Genovese and Alondra Reyes from the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center, Ariel Prado and Ian Philibum from Innovation Law Lab, and from the Santa Fe Dreamers Project, Emma Sullivan and Deshonda Chaparro. And finally, we share a powerful letter from Generation Justice member and my co-host, Elijah Cage, to 25-year-old Palestinian journalist, Bisan Auda. Enjoy this hour of education and action. Dr. Diane Torres Velasquez is the Associate Professor in the College of Education and Human Sciences at UNM. She currently serves as President of the Latino Education Task Force, a grassroots organization that worked with Maldiv to create the Martinez versus State of New Mexico lawsuit on public education. She joins us to shed light on the history of the Martinez and Yazi lawsuit. Now, here is Generation Justice's Elijah Cage speaking with Dr. Diane Torres Velasquez. This is Elijah Cage with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Dr. Diane Torres Velasquez. Dr. Torres, welcome to Generation Justice. Can you describe the Martinez lawsuit and tell us who were the Martinez plaintiffs? Thank you for that question, Elijah, and thank you for inviting me to the program. I always, I love Generation Justice and I love what y'all are doing. So. The Martinez lawsuit is a lawsuit that was created by the community. And by the community, I mean, it began with a Latino education task force. And it was based on things that go all the way back through our ancestors. It was a very spiritual and very deep journey for our organization. We have members who have been land-grant presidents, and we have members whose roots are indigenous. A couple of the leaders, our executive committee as officers, have Apache as their heritage. And so it was a real work of love, this constructing this lawsuit. The plaintiffs that we have are 51 children and parents. We did have school board members that worked with us. We did have superintendents that worked with us. We had a lot of attorneys that worked with us who had been involved in a potential lawsuit in 2008. And we had some of the people who had made the decision of whether or not to sue the state at that time involved with us as well. We did a lot of research into the Constitution. So we had researchers and attorneys, as I mentioned, but attorney faculty who had retired. And what we decided as a group was a very important decision that was very much honored by Maldef when we asked them to be the attorneys to represent us. What we decided was really important for the way that we had worked as a community to create the Martinez lawsuit. We decided that we only were going to have community members as plaintiffs. That meant that we were not going to have school districts as plaintiffs, and we were not going to have school boards as plaintiffs. It was going to be the children and their parents. 
And so the plaintiffs that we have, there are 51 plaintiffs, 51 children and parents that come from Albuquerque area, Española area, Gadsden district area, Las Cruces, Magdalena, Santa Fe, and Zuni. And that last Zuni, their plaintiffs were one of the first to agree to be part of the Martinez lawsuit. Because as we were creating the Martinez lawsuit, we really wanted all ethnic groups represented. And we had forums. And so we had a forum for Black education, a forum for Indian education, a forum for Hispanic education. And we wanted to make sure that we reached out to all ethnic groups. And I mentioned that as I discussed the plaintiffs as well, because we did also meet with the All Indian Tribal Council. They were very interested in the Martinez lawsuit. And this was before the Yazzie lawsuit was created. And we did talk and meet with the Center for Law and Poverty and encourage them to work with us in the lawsuit. And for a while they did. And so we really, really worked hard to be inclusive of everyone and even across fields. So education cannot be in isolation. We worked with health as well. We worked with the health sciences department, with the associate provost, with different departments there, community health. We worked with fields that impact education because to do it in isolation, I think is incomplete. And so that was really important to us as well. So we've got the acts that we wanted to have honored, the Bilingual Multicultural Education Act. We were seeing was having some problems even after the consent decree that had been agreed to with Albuquerque Public Schools. So we had the acts. We had the punitive education reforms, excessive park testing where students were organizing and having walkouts. If you remember that, we had a school grading system that was failing schools. So around that time, we had schools that had English language learners and the principal or the superintendent of a small district or the principal in larger districts would say, okay, everyone's going to use the same curriculum and we're not going to speak any Spanish in the school. Spanish is not allowed because that will just confuse the students. Well, that's against federal law. And yet that was the direction that the school grading system was pushing principals to take. So we had a lot, a lot of problems with policies that were being enacted and in punitive ways and were just wrong. We also did not yet have public education as a fundamental right. And I know that everyone thinks, well, it's in the Constitution, it's a fundamental right. But that's not true. Yes, it's in the Constitution. And yes, it is to be provided according to what we agreed in our Constitution. It is to be provided. Free public education is to be provided to our students. But it had been determined to be a service, a service. In the courts, the courts had said, it's not a right, it's a service. And if you think about it, Elijah, when you're in school and you're receiving a service, you have to accept what you're given if it's a service. But it's a different item if it's a right. If you come in and you know you have a right to public education, there's a different framework. There's a different lens that you use, that you approach your education with. I've heard many of my students at UNM say that for them, an education is as important as food and water, and they will fight for a good education because they want to learn. Well, that's because it is a right. And at the United Nations, it was deemed a human right, but there is a country that had not signed on, has still signed on to that part of the treaty, and that's the United States. So in the United States, education is not a human right, unless the state has determined through the courts that it is. And so there are some states who have determined public education to be a fundamental right, and some states who still have not. And in 2014, we still had not. So that was the first thing that we asked for. And we got that even before we went to trial. Thank you, Dr. Torres. You know, speaking about the Martinez lawsuit itself, can you explain in what ways did the Martinez and Yazi lawsuits come together? 
Well, as I said, we were reaching out to every group that we thought was interested and because we were interested in poverty and because our Maldive attorneys were based out of San Antonio, the Maldive attorneys asked me to reach out to the Center for Law and Poverty and I did. And at first I talked to the associate director and he just said, you know, they only had three attorneys. They had never done a lawsuit like this and they could not take it on. And I said, well, is there someone else I can talk to? So I talked to his wife, who was the director, and I spent a long time on the phone with her. And where we ended up was that, you know, they supported it, but they didn't have the bandwidth and they didn't have the experience. So what we did then was we, not we, this was Maldiv at that point. What Maldiv did was they organized a conference in Las Cruces and we invited them to present on poverty at that conference. And so actually our Lieutenant Governor presented, he was still a doctoral student in education. He presented, I presented, Center for Law and Poverty presented. Um, of course, the attorneys, some of them presented and some of the board members of Maldiv, New Mexico presented. And it was a wonderful conference. And when they saw what we were doing through a conference lens and they saw all the data visually, they agreed to work with us and to be part of this project that we were doing in creating the Martinez lawsuit. And so we were working together for some time and then they decided to go their own way. And so they took what they knew from discussions and created their own lawsuit. We still had you know, the act in our lawsuit we still had the punitive teacher reforms in our lawsuit. We still had a number of things that were really important for us in our lawsuit, in the Martinez lawsuit. And so when we were going to file, I didn't realize what I was being asked, but I was asked, you know, if we could file on March 18th. And Maldiv was trying to do that because it was my birthday. And they were trying to pick a significant date, one that we would all remember. And I couldn't because I had some things that worked that I had to do that I could not get out of. And so when I couldn't do that, then we postponed our filing until April. And Yazi filed in Gallup on March 19th. And so I don't know what happened to that lawsuit because it was either dismissed or they decided to move it to the court where we were going because we wanted to go with the first judicial court. Because I think, you know, the work that Maldiv had done, they knew the power of that court. And so we felt that was a better place for the Martinez lawsuit. And when I say we, it's actually the attorneys at that point really had done. They're just amazing. They had done a lot of homework on even where to file. So we filed April 1st of 2014. And then Yazi filed there in October of 2014. And so that is why in the courts, it is Martinez and Yasi, because they're two lawsuits and Martinez actually filed first. The documents are all available under the Martinez lawsuit. But, you know, of course, Yasi has contributed significantly. That's how we've worked together. Our judge was about to retire and it was a lot to try to come together and have two separate trials because each of them, you know, ours was an eight week trial and Yazi had pretty much something similar to what we had created. And that was an eight week trial. And she didn't have those two periods of time and everything that comes with it. So she said that because they were so similar, she wanted to consolidate the trial. So we still have two lawsuits, but the trial was consolidated. So we had one side with the Maldiv and the Yazi attorneys, and we had the other side with the state attorneys. And we were in trial for eight, maybe nine weeks. And it was pretty amazing. So since then, when something happens, so for example, a motion to dismiss, then both parties have to come together and decide how things are going to work on whatever step comes next and both contribute. So it's not like they both agree on everything, you know, it's two separate trials. So they communicate, they collaborate, and they each submit their piece. And Dr. Torres, you've shared a lot, a lot of detailed 
information and history about the Martinez lawsuit itself. Can you explain how has the lawsuit changed or advanced education in New Mexico? Well, one of the things that I would say I'm proudest of is seeing the pride that Native American leaders and students and scholars take in these two lawsuits. And I say that because when I went to high school, it was a different story. And what I see today, specifically after the win, is still, even though we're in 2024, a huge celebration of and a huge acknowledgement of Native American students. In some arenas, we still have a ways to go. But when I go to a forum, an education forum, and people are walking in, Native American people are walking in with pride because they know they have a right to a public education. That's huge. That's a huge shift in how the body language, in the things that are said, in the work that is done. I've seen a huge change no matter where I go. Where we still have to work is at the school level. And so we have some districts and some schools where some of that rich cultural knowledge is acknowledged and built upon. But we have other schools, unfortunately, where we're still requiring a script or we're still requiring every child to be on the same page. And when that doesn't happen, then the teacher is fired. We're still seeing that. And that's exactly what we fought against in our lawsuit. I want to see, we want to see teachers treated and acknowledged as professionals, as the professionals that they are. We have experienced teachers who also, so whether they're new or experienced, they're being fired if they're not following the script. That's not professional. That's not professional when they are meeting the needs of their students in ways that you know, are unique to those students. So we still have a ways to go, but I would say that one thing for me is like, okay, so I don't know about you, Elisha, but my ancestors are very important to me. And I'm not talking, so yes, my family, absolutely. My grandparents, absolutely. My antepasados, absolutely. I'm talking hundreds of years back here in New Mexico. We were not New Mexico. We were many indigenous tribes who traveled. That's where my pride is, to realize in this country, we have rights. And that to me is huge. And we can learn and we are smart. And we, I mean, of course we're smart. Of course we're brilliant. Of course we have potential. But very often, we're not seen for who we are because of maybe the color of our skin or the neighborhood we come from or whatever. And for that lesson to come from the lawsuit, the Martinez lawsuit, that's huge. And the Yazzie lawsuit, that's huge. That's a major win, but we've got a long ways to go. And we need to work with the community in creating those remedies still. Dr. Torres, I just want to say what you had said was very powerful and meaningful, especially to me. You know, my where I come from, my family, especially my mother, she's always talked about my ancestors and the tools they've given me. And, uh, you know, you're right. You know, people don't see us for our, our strengths, our brilliance. They see us for what they wish we were. They try to belittle us. And, you know, it's important that as people who are seen like this, that we recognize that no matter what they say, we deserve the right to show our talents, our brilliance, intelligence, and our beauty itself. You know, and I just want to acknowledge what you had said, and I thank you for that. Oh, Elijah, that is powerful. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. 
And, you know, you were talking about teachers in the school system a little while ago, and I just, as a UNM professor, how would you say a UNM student's higher education be affected if they received an adequate K through 12 education? Oh, wow. Well, so first of all, I'd like to acknowledge, you know, the hard work that teachers do and the decisions that they have to make constantly. And right now, there's a lot of overload on teachers. So much overload, Elijah, if you can believe it. A lot of really skillful bilingual teachers don't have time to teach bilingual education anymore. So they're opting not to, which is very sad. But if we were taking care of our curriculum, of our teachers, of our students, then we wouldn't have to deal with racism. That would take care of itself. That would be one piece. And we would see students at UNM who were fully prepared, who knew who they were at the core, who knew what they wanted to do and were in the right place, not because somebody told them they had to go to the university, but because they were dying to learn. And we would also see students who say, I respect your choice to go to the university, but I think I want to be a plumber or I think I want to be a carpenter, but be in the route that is right for them that they want to explore. And maybe they change their mind. There's nothing wrong with that. I would hope to see students who feel they have been empowered to make the decisions for their own lives and that they're given the opportunities at UNM to continue on a path of their choice. Dr. Torres, thank you so much for giving us your time today and explaining not only what the Martinez lawsuit is for those who don't know, but the differences you hope it makes in students' lives and in the education system here in New Mexico. For Generation Justice, I'm Elijah Cage. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Torres Velasquez, for celebrating Native American students by educating and uplifting the win of the Martinez and Yazi lawsuit. Keeping up this fight and acknowledgement will protect students and teachers alike. Dr. Torres Velasquez chose this song for you. Here is The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are The New Mexico Legislative Session is in full swing. Tonight, we bring you a pre-recorded interview with Representative Eleanor Chavez about the legislation she is sponsoring this year and her efforts for a permanent ceasefire in Palestine. One of these efforts includes a memorial that was introduced to call for a permanent ceasefire, pause military aid to Israel, and allow humanitarian aid to Gaza. Here is Barbara Ramirez speaking with Representative Eleanor Chavez. This is Barbara Ramirez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Representative Eleanor Chavez from District 26. Representative Chavez, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you so much for having me. Would you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, I represent House District 26. It's on the west side of Albuquerque. Um, I have lived in that area for since 1985. Prior to that, I was a state rep for District 13, which is really the same area, but it just got redistricted this last time around. Um, I'm a native New Mexican, was born in Las Cruces, grew up in Santa Fe, and I have my master's in social work from the University of Washington. Um, and I am currently the executive director for the National Union of Hospital and Healthcare Employees, District 1199. Thank you so much. Representative, tell us more about the legislation that you're sponsoring in this 30-day session. 
Wow, that's a really big question. There's several pieces that I'm sponsoring. One of them is a bill called Dignity Not Detention, um, and that would require uh, or would prohibit cities, counties, the state from entering into contracts with private prison entities for the purpose of um, detaining immigrants. Um, the, some of the other bills that I'm sponsoring are is a safe staffing bill that would require hospitals and healthcare facilities to have ratios for RNs in, who are doing inpatient care as well as patient care techs. Um, there is a uh, memorial with regard to um, social work and asking social work workers across the state to um, uh, to use the 17 principles of environmental um, justice in their practice. There is also a constitutional amendment that I am uh, co-sponsoring along with Senator Jerry Ortiz de Pino that would move uh, children, youth and families department um, out from under sort of the governor's um, purview and create a commission that would oversee that department. We all know how troubled that department is and we really have to get a, a handle on um, kids in foster care, uh, kids who are abused and neglected, and really be able to provide um, the kinds of services that they and their families deserve. Um, and there's probably some that I'm forgetting. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about the important legislation. Please share with us about your efforts to secure a complete and permanent ceasefire in Palestine. Um, yeah. So one of the things that um, that I did, along with um, some of the some other co-sponsors, is um, introduce a memorial that would call on a congressional delegation to call for a permanent ceasefire. Um, also, allow humanitarian aid, um, pa put a pause on military aid to Israel, and um, so basically, we you know it, it's it's getting uh, so serious down there. People are being killed every day. Last, this morning I heard that um, 200 and some um, Palestinians were killed um, just in one day. Um, so it's really getting critical. Um, hospitals are continuing to be bombed, uh, which is something of concern to me because I think health care is a, a right and is very important. Um, and if people don't have access to health care, then, you know, they're going to either die or uh, remain critically ill um, and suffer those consequences for the rest of their lives. Thank you so much, Representative. Um, would you please explain to us what it means to uh, sponsor a memorial or uh, this letter that you talked about during a legislative session? Right. So I think um, what both of those do is it brings attention to issues that are concerning, of concern to not only legislators, but their constituents as well. Um, some of my constituents have talked to me about, um, you know, what can we do to put some pressure on our congressional delegation to, um, you know, stand up for a ceasefire. And some of the, some of the uh, representatives, congressional representatives, have um, called for some sort of ceasefire. Um, but we need to continue to press them to continue to press the president to basically, you know, stop the, the genocide that's taking place in, in Palestine. Thank you so much. You already mentioned some of these. Um, why is this so important to you? So it's important to me because for a number of reasons. One, um, I, I don't think that as a country... Um, as people, we should stand by and watch. I think it's important for us to stand up and, and basically, you know, really, you know, call out the injustice, right? I think that, um, you know, people in the U.S. have experienced genocide, right? You know, think about Native Americans and, and what happened to them. Um, and so I think it's important for us um, to also speak up because our tax dollars are funding that war. And when you look at all of the needs that we have in, I'll just use New Mexico as an example, um, you know, housing, healthcare, education, um, we could be using those tax dollars um, here in the state. Uh, we have a huge issue with homelessness, so we definitely need some help in terms of building our housing infrastructure. Um, so I think that it's, it's really important, um, you know, for all of those reasons. Um, you know, I don't want, um, you know, my tax dollars being used in that way. I would rather see that money again, like I said, be used here in New Mexico for all of the needs that we have. 
I want to say thank you so much, Representative Chavez. Uh, just when I was coming in, I saw that there were demonstrators outside um, calling for a ceasefire with Palestinian flags. So it makes me, it's comforting to hear you hearing uh, your constituents and New Mexicans and what's important to us and how you're right. There are so many needs in our state um, that we could utilize that money that's being sent for war so that we can invest in our communities here. So thank you so much. What do you want the community to know about these efforts? So I want the community to know that, um, that you know, myself, for myself as a legislator, that this is something that I'm very concerned about. But I also want the community to know that they can also take action. Um, it's important for them to also call on their congressional delegation and express the need for a ceasefire in Palestine. Um, it can't just be me talking. It can't just be, you know, you know, other community folks calling them. But it has to be all of us together. Um, I go back and I think about the Vietnam War, which is something that was really very real to me um, because I saw um, friends who died in that war. And it was really at that point in time, college students and the youth of this country that brought that war to an end. So we can do it again. We have to. Thank you so much for your humanity and, and for listening. It's, that's, that's what we're here for. Um, and we need to be human and pay attention to what's happening. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, I think that um, it's very important for us to always be aware of what's happening, um, not only in our, um, you know, in New Mexico, but around the world as well, because really in a lot of ways it's all connected, right? I think that it's important for us to understand how the U.S. influences and intervenes in other countries and how the rest of the world looks at us because it's from a very different perspective. Um, I've traveled to you know, many different countries and you know, when they find out that I'm from the US, it creates a whole different conversation, right? And so I think that we need to be um, connected, not just locally, locally, but globally as well. One more time, thank you so much, Representative Chavez, for saying yes to this interview, for listening to your constituents and New Mexicans about um, stopping the genocide that is currently happening as we speak in Palestine and for your humanity, for caring. Um, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Barbara Ramirez. Thank you, Representative Chavez, for speaking about the injustice that is happening in Palestine and for reminding us that we have to take action. Thank you, Representative Chavez, for your thoughtful consideration of our history and our future with love and protection at the forefront of it all. Your work is vital and so appreciated. Now we bring you Olive Branch by Eliana. During the opening of the El Gauna Film Festival in December, the Palestinian Chilean singer and songwriter Eliana gave this moving rendition of her song, Olive Branch. Since October 7th of 2023, Palestinian journalist Bisan Auda has used her social media platforms to inform the world about the genocide and the atrocities that people in Gaza have and continue to face. As of October 15th, 2023, Bisan had over 180,000 followers on Instagram. By today, she has accumulated over 4 million followers. Generation Justice member Elijah Cage Shares a letter to Bisan. Dear Bisan, my name is Elijah Cage. I am 19 years old. I wanted to write this letter because of what you are doing right now. It is not only the right thing to do, it is very courageous 
and you are inspiring others, including myself. What's going on might be one of the most horrific things I've witnessed while living in this world. You are truly making a difference using your voice to inspire others to do the same. And I want to tell you that people are listening to you as you have become a beacon for many across the world. And in times you may feel you are alone in this, you are not. And although you can't see me or any of us, we are behind you. You're a symbol of hope and guidance for those who may think there is no hope. I thank you for being one of my inspiration and for giving me courage. You're an inspiration at this time, in this time of devastation. You are not alone. You're brave and strong as you put yourself at risk every single day. And I want you to know that it is not for nothing. I can't imagine the tragedy you were going through. And as I watch your videos, I pray that you are safe. Know that I am with you. Every morning I wake up knowing that there are others suffering. People are dying. Homes are destroyed. And knowing that as I speak right now, there may be another person dead because of the genocide. I can't be at peace knowing this. I hope you hear my message to know that from my heart and my spirit, you're not alone, and that I love you. And I thank you for everything you're doing. Elijah, this message of thanks is so much more than that. You are also using your voice to share Bisan's powerful message while sharing kindness and love to anyone else who's also hurting and fighting with everything they have. I feel us all healing and coming together through your gratitude. Thank you for that. On January 18th, more than 150 New Mexicans took action at the New Mexico Legislative Session for Dignity, Not Detention. The Dignity, Not Detention Act, or Senate Bill 145, is being introduced for the second time. This legislation seeks to prohibit public bodies from entering into agreements to detain individuals for federal civil immigration violations and requiring the termination of any such existing agreements. In this next segment, you will hear the voices of Giovanni Hernandez from the New Mexico Dream Team, Sofia Genovese, and Alondra Reyes from the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. Ariel Prado and Ian Philibum from Innovation Law Lab, and from the Santa Fe Dreamers Project, Emma O'Sullivan and Deshonda Chapado. Our interviewers are Saihan Ruvangaba, Barbara Ramirez, and Evangeline Nanez. Hello everyone, this is Ejen Rubalcabado's Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Giovanni Hernandez from the New Mexico Dream Team. Hi, thank you for having me. Could you tell us more about yourself and your organization, please? Uh, my name is Giovanni Sebastian Hernandez. I'm 23 years old, and I live in the most beautiful city in New Mexico, Las Cruces, about 45 miles away from the uh, Mexican border. So who I am is reflected of where I'm from, right? So this is a melting pot of different cultures, different communities, different needs that is not being met by our state legislator, by our state government, by the federal government, right? Um, and so I work with New Mexico Dream Team, a youth-led immigrant advocacy organization, the largest in the state, to advance those missions of youth power, youth education, political education, creating real change for our communities. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, could you talk to us about Dignity Not Detention? Yeah, so the Dignity Not Detention Act is a super exciting bill that we are um, promoting this legislative session that seeks to close um, the three privately owned and run private immigration detention centers in New Mexico. One in Torrance County, one in Cibolo County, and one in Otero County. Um, so this bill aims to 
prohibit local governments, local entities from entering or renewing contracts with um, ICE and CBP and these private detention centers, uh, these companies rather, for the purposes of federal immigration detention violations. Um, this refers to people who are seeking asylum, seeking refuge, people from different countries who are coming to this place, the United States, to seek a better life and better opportunities to make things happen for their families, better things than what they have back home. And so unfortunately, what we have right now in the United States and in New Mexico is a complicity, um, or we're complicit with the xenophobic and racist immigration detention system. So this bill is super important to me, super important to my family, and super important to our community of youth, of immigrant, people of color, and allies um, all over New Mexico and across the state. Thank you. Why is your organization so invested in seeing detention centers shut down? Yeah, so more broadly, I think we all have a personal connection to the issues um, of immigration detention and the stories that we hear about people incarcerated in them. Several of our staff and also members have direct stories of their families who have unfortunately faced this kind of treatment in the detention centers. So it's a personal issue, it's a state issue, it's an issue for the people. And New Mexico Dream Team is committed always to advancing the political cause and political action of all people coming to this country for a better life. Thank you so much for your time, Yoani, and for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Evangeline Nanez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Emma O'Sullivan and Deshonda Chaparro. Welcome to Generation Justice. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. So I am the legal director over at Santa Fe Dreamers Project. We are a nonprofit here in the state of New Mexico, provide immigration legal services, and you know we're here to support the Dignity Not Detention Bill today. Awesome, thank you. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the Dignity Not Detention Act and what's your stance on the legislation? The Dignity Not Detention Act really is a piece of legislation to put some controls on the kinds of detention practices we can have in New Mexico. And as immigration rights attorneys, Deshonda and I both feel really strongly, and our organization feels very strongly about ending the practice of immigration detention here in New Mexico. We've witnessed firsthand the horrors of immigration detention in New Mexico, and we think this practice needs to end, and we can't rely on the federal government to do the right thing. We've learned that over and over again. So this is our chance to do the right thing, and we really hope that our legislators take it. Um, we've heard of several human rights violations um, in these detention centers. How would you like for the New Mexico legislator to address these concerns? I think naming them is obviously the first step, and it's also not enough. I think taking steps like the Dignity Not Detention Act, that would get our, our state government more involved in, in um, thinking about contracts with, um, service per, or with uh, companies like CoreCivic and like GeoGroup that are really the perpetrators of a lot of these horrors, as well as thinking about relationships with ICE. Um, that's what the Dignity Not Detention Act is all about, is, is making it harder to enter into those kinds of agreements, making it easier to end them. Um, and ultimately, we hope it'll, it'll put us on the road towards ending immigration detention in New Mexico. What is your message to legislators and the governor of New Mexico? I would like to tell them that the Dignity Not Detention Act is necessary. It is a crucial next step in New Mexico in order to um, gain freedom and justice for uh, asylum seekers and immigrants. We need this in order to protect human rights and to protect uh, our community members. And quite frankly, immigration detention is not necessary here in New Mexico. Well, thank you so much um, for speaking with me and for being here and supporting this act and meeting with legislators today. And again, we've been speaking with Emma O'Sullivan and Deshonda Chaparro. This is Ejemplo Alcaba with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Sofia Genovese and Alondra Reyes. Bueno, mucho gusto. Estoy muy feliz de estar aquí. Estoy aquí para hablar un poco sobre nuestra propuesta del Senado, que es dignidad, no detención. Hi everyone, I'm Sofia Genovese, Managing Attorney at the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. Thanks for talking to us about the bill today. Talk to us about Dignity Not Detention Act. Nuestra propuesta de dignidad no detención es una propuesta para terminar los contratos entre Nuevo México y ICE en términos de las detenciones aquí. Ahorita tenemos tres detenciones y en esas detenciones hay mucho abuso que pasa, suicidios. Um, entonces nosotros, para nosotros es muy importante terminar esas detenciones para proteger a nuestra comunidad de inmigrantes aquí. We've heard of several human rights violations in detention centers. How would you like for New Mexico legislators to address this, these concerns? 
We are seeing tons of violations, whether they be human rights abuses, due process violations, there's bug infestations, rat infestations, sewage pipe leaking, poor physical infrastructure, abuses by prison guards, and on top of that, people aren't receiving free and fair asylum proceedings. So we want to see New Mexico divest itself from these contracts, remove themselves from these contracts, and no longer engage in human suffering and torture. Why is your organization so invested in seeing the detention centers shut down? Nuestra organización está dedicada a terminar estas detenciones porque tenemos muchos clientes que están detenidos y como abogados y asistentes legales nosotros no tenemos el poder de sacarlos, el poder tiene que venir de los gobiernos, entonces para nosotros es términos de proteger esta comunidad que es muy importante para el Estado de Nuevo México. Muchas gracias por su tiempo hoy y gracias por el trabajo que hacen. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work that you do. For Generation Justice, this is Ejen Rubalcaba. This is Barbara Ramirez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Ian Philebum and Ariel Prado with Innovation Law Lab. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. Please tell us more about yourselves. Let's start with you, Ian. I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, being a, a child of the Southwest and uh, working with Innovation Law Lab. It has been uh, a great pleasure of mine to be able to engage in this work with the Dignity Not Detention Coalition uh, in solidarity with uh, community members and organizations here in the state of New Mexico, uh, working in solidarity with people directly affected by immigration detention and the immigration border security apparatus more generally. Uh, so today is a really exciting day for us to be here in the New Mexico State Legislature and the, and the Roundhouse, working with New Mexicans calling in solidarity for the end of uh, direct contract with ICE for the purpose of detaining of, of immigrants in the state of New Mexico. Thank you so much for that background. Ariel? So my name is Ariel Prado. I'm the director of civic engagement with Innovation Law Lab. Um, for a while, I worked closely with people in detention, survivors of detention, families of people in detention, um, focused on helping people kind of navigate a very difficult uh, process to navigate and, and advocate for, for getting released. Um, in that work, I actually got pretty close with a lot of the guards who worked in some of the detention facilities that I was working at. and heard from them kind of some of their resentment for their jobs and, and this kind of feeling that, that it was the only thing that was available to them. Um, and so now what I've started to focus on is the communities around detention centers and the communities that detention centers target for hiring and working with those communities to envision what comes next for them after detention centers close. Thank you so much, both of you. So we're here in Santa Fe for the Dignity Not Detention Day of Action. What is your message to legislators about why they should be supporting the Dignity Not Detention Act? I think there's there's a couple messages here, but the, the main one is that New Mexico shouldn't be complicit in the torture of immigrants, in the separation of immigrant families and immigrant communities, um, and that it's not okay to, it's not acceptable to build an economy or a community around the suffering of other people. Um, we've heard a lot of the questions around what does come next, what, what, does, what happens to the people who work in these facilities, what happens to the communities that host them. And those are good questions, but they're questions that we should be asking separately from, from the question of, of uh, whether New Mexico should continue to be complicit in immigrant detention. Um, rural economic development, rural community development, those are, those are issues that are really important and that we should be talking about all the time. Um, but they're not excuses to... Uh, subject uh, entire communities, hundreds and hundreds of people, to, to torturous conditions. Thank you so much, both of you, for speaking with us. Again, I've been speaking with Ian Philobam and Ariel Prado from Innovation Lab. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Barbara Ramirez. Thank you to each and every one of the advocates we heard from today uplifting care, safety, and honor through your support and advocacy of the Dignity Not Detention legislation. Your passion and care towards this issue and all the people it affects are invaluable. Thank you for all that you each do. Thank you all for the work your organizations are doing and for addressing the cruelty that is happening. You are truly making a difference in people's lives. Now, here is Chicano Batman's version of This Land is Your Land.
before we end our show, we'd like to remind you of a few important safety measures to keep you safe as you enter the new year. That's right. Remember that you are still susceptible to contracting and spreading viral illnesses. These viral illnesses include COVID-19, the flu, and RSV. One of the most effective ways to keep you and your loved ones safe is by getting vaccinated and staying up to date on all your immunizations. By doing so, you are protecting yourself and your loved ones. If you or someone you love is in need of a vaccination for any viral illness, you can visit vaccinenm.org and schedule your vaccination appointment today. Once again, that's vaccinenm.org. What if I've received all my immunizations already? What are other ways to keep myself and my community safe? Other effective ways of keeping you and the people you love safe is making sure that you are maintaining social distance and safety protocols that are put into place. Try to limit large gatherings, ensure that the space you're in is well ventilated, and if you have access to an air purifier, that's even better. You should wear your KN95 mask over your mouth and nose to prevent the spread of virus particles to others. And once again, if you need to get vaccinated against any viral illnesses that are currently spreading, visit vaccinenm.org. That's vaccinenm.org to find a vaccination near you. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of Community Calls for Action. We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Diane Torres Velasquez, Representative Eleanor Chavez, Giovanni Hernandez from the New Mexico Dream Team, Sofia Genovese, and Alondra Reyes from the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center, Ariel Prado and Ian Philobum from Innovation Law Lab, and from the Santa Fe Dreamers Project, Emma O'Sullivan and Deshanda Chaparro. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Royale and Barbara Ramirez with production assistance from Ariana Cordova. And thank you to our interviewers, including myself, Saihan Ruzalcaba, Barbara Ramirez, and Eve Nanez. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health, Infectious Disease Bureau through the Better Together Coalition, the McCune Foundation, as well as Media Justice, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who've contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I am Elijah Cage. And I'm Lily Lukow. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at seven o'clock. Good night, New Mexico. Be safe.